morning, everyone. So good to see you today. Um, first of all, if this is your Bible, uh, please come get it afterwards. I needed a CSB and it was the nicest one around, so I took it. But it was just on the, 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 the pew there. I think it might be Doug's, actually. So, Doug, if you're watching on the video, uh, thank you for unwittingly lending me your Bible. Um, we're continuing on in First Thessalonians uh, today. Uh, such a good book, such a, a joyful and uplifting and encouraging um, book. Um, and uh, as uh, we start off today, I, I want you to um, think about maybe a, a situation in, in which um, all the pieces just didn't seem to fit together. You, you maybe you there's just something odd or, or, or missing. You see a person. Um, and, and they look like one thing, but, but, but there's certain other things about them that just look different. What am I, what am I talking about? Um, uh, here's an illustration. Um, back in Zimbabwe, uh, it's very hard to buy, um, actual, you know, legit movies, DVDs. Uh, most of the stuff that you find, um, has somehow been been copied and, and recorded, and uh, it's of varying degree of uh, degrees of quality. Uh, some is quite good. Uh, some of them you're watching, and uh, you just see this uh, silhouette of a person uh, stand up in the screen and, and 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 walk across. Clearly, someone was just sitting there in the cinema uh, filming and shipped it out to Zimbabwe. Um, the some of the funniest ones were were. Um, where the film was in a foreign language. Um, and I, I love watching films in foreign languages, but, but I should just use subtitles. Uh, hopefully most people can, can, can read. Um, we, we used to watch these, um, Chinese action movies. Um, and, and I love them because of the, the, the storylines and the, the passion and these, um, just amazing, uh, fighting scenes. Um, but whoever dubbed in the English to some of these movies, I, I don't know what they were thinking because they, they miss the whole, the whole flow and essence and aura and vibe of the movie in, in their translation. You know, your, your hero, um, your protagonist is lying there on the floor. He's just, uh, suffered a, a mortal blow and he's, he's, he's bleeding out. And the chief, female character in the story who he's been sparring with all along comes to his side um, and there he is frail as anything um, and this almost like computerized voice um, kind of kind of translates into English for him it's, it's something like um, I am so glad you came uh, I am about to die, and I want you to know that I always loved you. And it's just like, it just ruins it. Because that, that, that doesn't convey any of the passion, and it, it doesn't seem to connect with, you know, where the, where the whole story has, has led up to. Um, and, and when you hear someone speak, and, and what they say doesn't match up with everything else about them, it just, just doesn't sit right. It just doesn't seem right. Um, and that, it seems, is what the unbelievers in Thessalonica had accused Paul of. Yeah, he was a great orator and he said all the right things. But this guy's life didn't match up 
with what he said. There was a, there was a disconnect. And, and reading between the lines of today's passage, it seems like, like what they're getting at is, is this guy was a, was a deceiver. He was clever with his tongue. He was a flatterer. But he was, he was after praise. He was after riches. He, he, he didn't love you. He wasn't here to serve you. He may have said that with his mouth. But look, he deserted you here. His actions don't, don't tell you that, that that is the case. And, and so when Paul sat down to write this passage, this is the chief thing that he's looking to address. He's looking to defend himself because he knows if these accusations are allowed to stand, it would undermine absolutely all the work that he did in Thessalonica. His trip would be absolutely pointless if the words that he spoke didn't match up with how he conducted himself, with, with how he lived among the Thessalonians. Um, and so let's, let's, let's give this passage another read. Um, I guess I'll do what Doug does. Why don't you stand up again? But a bit of exercise never hurts anyone. Um, unless you're like, I don't know, recovering from a C-section like my wife, and then it could actually hurt you. But um, uh, anyway, um, let, me, let me read. For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, this is First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, that our visit with you was not without result. On the contrary... After we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, we were emboldened by God to speak the gospel of God to you in spite of great opposition. For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. Instead, just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please people, but rather God who examines our hearts. For we never used flattering speech, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness. And we didn't seek glory from people, either from you or from others. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nurse nurtures her own children. We cared so much for you, that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you became dear to us. For you remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. You are witnesses, and so is God of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you, believers. As you know, like a father with his own children, we encouraged, comforted, and implored each one of you to live worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You can take a seat. Father God, I thank you for this this passage. And as we read it, I pray that our hearts would be stirred with a longing for our lives to be a coherent whole, for our words and our hearts and our 
conduct, to all be united, to all be conformed to the image of Christ, to all represent the glory of God faithfully. And I thank you for this letter that we have here. I thank you for Paul's great concern to defend himself, to reject these rumors that have been spread about him. So that the work he did among the Thessalonians would not be undermined. And the gospel that would that, that had taken root there would continue to grow and to flourish and to spread outwards. And I pray that you would be at work in our hearts so that we, like Paul, would have the same earnest desire for our lives to be congruent with our words. Stir this up in us, Lord. Break down any pretenses. Break down any separation between heart and speech. Between speech and action. Help us to live to please you and you alone. In Jesus' name. Amen. So verse 1 of chapter 2 says this, You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not without results. A lot of translations say was not in vain. And any careful reader of the text at this point should stop and ask himself, how can Paul say this? Number one, how does he know that his visit was not in vain? And number two, how does he know that the Thessalonian church knew that his visit was not in vain. How can he have so much confidence on this point? And I I think as we dig into the text, we we see three things here. Uh, Firstly, Paul achieved the reason why he went to Thessalonica, namely to preach the gospel. Secondly, he looks to show that his heart was consistent with his preaching. And thirdly, that his conduct was consistent with his preaching. Firstly, Paul did what he went to Thessalonica to do. He preached the gospel. Verse 2, on the contrary, it wasn't without result. On the contrary, after we had previously suffered and were treated outrageously in Philippi, we were emboldened by our God to preach to you the gospel. In my first year of seminary, I went along to a uh, local college campus. It was me and another first year, and we just went walking along uh, to this college campus. Um, And we got onto the campus, um, and it was a bit of uh, a culture shock, uh, just very different um, environment to our little seminary bubble. Um, and we went around walking through the cafeteria, 
And we just started praying, not out loud, uh, just, just in our hearts. And we're praying, God, please, please open up a door uh, for us to, to preach the gospel. Um, and we walked and we prayed and we walked and we prayed and we did this for about 30 or 40 minutes. And uh, in the end, I think we told ourselves that the Lord didn't open a door. Um, but in reality, I think our hearts just failed us. Um, and we left the campus and we didn't tell the gospel story to anyone. We didn't get to know anyone. Um, we were scared. And that trip was in vain. Now, we weren't in any danger of any, any real persecution. There was almost no chance we were going to get kicked off the campus, even less chance that we were going to get imprisoned or, imprisoned or flogged or executed. Um, at the worst, uh, the students would just think that we we're a bit weird, a bit out of touch with reality. Um, and yet those, those concerns, those risks, those fears were enough to keep us silent. Well, not so Paul on his trip to Thessalonica. We had suffered previously, had been outrageously treated in Philippi. They they go to Philippi, a number of people come to the Lord. They cast out this spirit from the girl, uh, from a girl who's possessed. Her owners get outraged and they raise a mob against Paul. They drag them before the authorities. They strip them naked. They flog them. And they send them into prison, put their feet in stocks. Shamefully treated. The Lord works a wonder and they are able to escape. They go on to Thessalonica. And there, the house that they're staying in gets attacked by a mob. Their host gets dragged out and gets shaken and, and asked, where, where are these people who you're staying with? They eventually manage to leave Thessalonica probably at the dead of night and go to Berea. This is real persecution. And yet in the midst of that, Paul has boldness to go to the synagogue, to the heart of the place where his opposition was coming from, and declare to them the gospel with clarity. That is one reason why Paul's visit was not without result, was not vain. He opened his mouth despite so many reasons to be afraid. And he declared to them the gospel. But all this would all be great and, and fine. Unless, of course, the gospel that he proclaimed just didn't match up, just didn't jive with the rest of the visit. And that's precisely what, what the rest of the citizens in Thessalonica accused Paul of. And so Paul's not content just to remind them that he, he, he preached to them. 
he also wants to show them that his life matched his preaching. And firstly, he wants to show that his heart and his preaching were aligned. And he does this by providing this long series of denials, supposedly contradicting the very points that had been raised in the rumors against him. In verse 4, uh, verse 3, sorry, he says, For our exhortation didn't come from error or impurity or an intent to deceive. He, he says we, we weren't saying one thing, but actually trying to go about something else when we were talking to you. What, what we said we meant, and, and we meant it from the heart. Verse 4, we speak the gospel not to please people, there's the other denial, but rather to, to please God who examines heart. Verse 5, we never used flattery, as you know, or had greedy motives. God is our witness, and we didn't seek glory from people. We weren't after greed. We weren't after glory. These are two probably of the most common reasons why people are insincere. Why, why you hear someone talk and there's something in your spirit that just goes, there's something that just doesn't match up here. It's because people are doing good things and they're saying good things. But what they really want is, is riches. They, they want more money. They want to be able to benefit from you in some way. Or, or they're saying all these good things and, and, and what they really want is just for you to adore them, to revel in their wisdom. And so there's a, there's a disconnect, there's a check in your spirit and it just doesn't feel right. And Paul says, you know, and twice he appeals to God himself and says, God knows that wasn't the case with us. What we said we were about, we were actually about. There was no hidden agenda. And he denies all of these things and he says, instead, this is what the case was. Verse 4, we weren't seeking the, uh, the, 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 the approval of people, but rather we looked to please God. You see, people pleasing is a hotbed for insincerity. Because people, even the wisest of people, can only ever see a limited number of aspects about you. They, they can hear the words that you say. They can see the things that they do. Some might perceive or think they perceive some of the, the motivation behind what you do. But, but people are only, they only get, ever get to see part of you. And if you're clever enough, you can always make sure that the parts that they see are the best parts are the parts that you know that they will approve of, the parts that you like yourself. 
Uh, and so if you're looking to please people, there can always exist this, this disconnect between what you present yourself to be and, and what you really are. But if you are sincerely looking to please God, that sort of disconnect is impossible because unlike people who only see parts of you, the Lord God sees all of you. And so it just doesn't work to try and put your best foot forward in what you say and do the odd good deed here and there. Because if if he sees your heart, and that's exactly what this verse says, the God who examines our hearts, then, then doing this good thing and that good thing, it just, it, 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 just it, doesn't, it doesn't deceive him. It doesn't fool him. If you want to live in sincerity, if you want your life to match with what you believe, then focus your attention on looking to please God. Because it's impossible to look to please God and at the same time to look to hide certain aspects of your life. So instead of of looking to please other people, they look to please God. Instead of having all these greedy and, 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 and self-glorifying motivations. Verse 7 says that he became like a mother. Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you. As a nurse nurtures her own children. Don't you love this? Paul, probably the most powerful person in all of Christendom for 2,000 years. We're still under the influence of Paul's writings. And he, he calls himself a nursing mother. And just what a beautiful illustration. It's one that resonates with me so strongly now because I'm currently married to a nursing mother. and. The wonderful thing about a nursing mother is that they never put out. They have so much patience for this little one. Time and time again, he'll wake her up in the night. And she's always delighted to see him. Her heart is always tender towards him. And Paul is saying, this is how it was when I was with you. My every inclination, my every impulse towards you was affection and joy and love. In a sense, my expectations of you were so, so low. You were these little babies. And it didn't matter how much you messed up. It didn't matter how much reason I might have to be disappointed in you. I was always just so pleased with you because you'd become dear to me. So I was tender with you. I was gentle with you. I was kind to you. Paul's heart 
matched up perfectly with his actions, with his, with, with his preaching. And then he looks to go to show that his conduct matched up with his preaching. Verse 8. We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. I love that verse. And I feel like I've had moments in my life where I've experienced something of this. Where I feel like I've just been living life with people in an authentic way. But oh, how I long for more and more of this. It's my heart's desire to grow in this area. Because this is what it means to be human. This is fullness of joy. This is what we were created for. To be in each other's lives. To have people truly know you. Who you are open with and vulnerable with. Who are in your home and in your business and stepping on your toes. who know the quirks of your personality and who laugh at them and poke fun at them and call you out. When they know you're not just, you're just not quite living as you're supposed to be living. And I don't know how anyone can grow in godliness apart from this sort of community. I don't know how you can put to death the lusts of the flesh, of the mind, lust in the mind, desire for what you don't have, pride. Unless you have these authentic relationships with people who you can be vulnerable with, who you can confess your sins to. And we live in a society that is increasingly viewing the church as irrelevant and extreme. And people don't like our message very much. But this right here is something that is always going to resonate with people. An open home and arms wide open. Come taste our food Let us get to know your story. Come see us and our laughs and our faults and our inconsistencies. Help us to grow and let us help you grow. This is what it's like to live in a persecuted context. And it's so blessed. There's just so much joy in this. And so that's the first way in which Paul conducted himself with the Thessalonians. He shared his life with them. And then you see in in verse 9, 
how he worked so hard not to burden them. For you yourselves remember our labor and hardship, brothers and sisters, working night and day so that we would not burden any of you. We preached God's gospel to you. This text, of course, is no excuse for believers not not to give to the work of the gospel. Um, maybe you'll go to a shop and you you know uh, have an extra item uh, in in your cart that you forgot about and you didn't you didn't pay for it and you know the person at checkout says don't worry about it um, you know moving on to the next customer I, I'll, I'll just write it off and you can take it. Of course, that's no excuse. Uh, next time you go to the shop to, you know, walk uh, up to the, the, the checkout and say, um, yeah, I, I don't think I'm going to pay for this Coke um, and, and walk out. Um, you can waive, a person can waive something that they have a right to enforce um, as, as a way of blessing you, as a way of encouraging you. Um, Paul had a right uh, to, to, to be given uh, things by the church in Thessalonica, as he says in verse 7, although we could have been a burden to you as Christ's apostles, but because of the very peculiar situation in the church in Thessalonica, and, and they're just baby stages, Paul, just out of an outpouring of a love for them, decided to waive that right. And though he was serving them and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul said, I don't want, I don't want anything from you. He, he was willing to work round the clock so that all he could do for the church in Thessalonica was just give. For now, I just want to give to you because my heart is so tender to you and I, I, just, I don't want there to be any hindrance to you accepting the gospel. Verse 10 sums up his conduct towards them. You are our witnesses. And again, he appeals appeals to God. And so is God of how devoutly, righteously, and blamelessly we conducted ourselves with you believers. Paul is saying our hearts were consistent with what we believed and proclaimed. Our actions were consistent with what we believed and proclaimed. We were a whole person. We didn't present one thing to you and actually have another set of desires on the side. And this is what it means to be truly human. This is what it means to follow after Christ faithfully. And so my question to you is, what about you? Will people know that you love Jesus by how you live just as much as by what you say? Are there things in your life things that you feel in your heart or or things that you do that just don't match with what you believe, that just aren't consistent, that are just out of place. 
And are you moving towards people in authentic, life-giving relationships and allowing them to shape you and to mold you and to matter to you and to affect you? Are you getting personal and being present and enabling both you and them to be built up to maturity in Christ. This is how Paul and Silas and Timothy conducted themselves in Thessalonica. And this is a path for you to walk on to. A path in which there is fullness of joy. In fact, there's no joy, no true joy to be found apart from this. You are made to be a whole person. And this church is a great place to start. We have small groups that meet in the weeks. I know it's, it's the summer and so some groups are taking a break. There are also small groups that, that meet on a Sunday morning. If you're not involved in one of those, just, just get involved. There are people there who want to know you, who want to share their hearts and their lives with you, who are experienced in authentic, life-giving, interpersonal relationships. And so give yourself to that and watch joy bubble up in your heart and invade all those around you. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you just for the perfection of all that you do and how you use affliction and persecution to make people exactly what you created them to be. And the longing of my heart, and I pray the longing of of so many hearts in this room is that we would become more and more like that. That our lives would more and more reflect who we are in you, what we believe and what we declare. I pray that we would be worthy before you, that we would love one another from the heart and that you would be pleased as as you see us and we would look to bring glory to your name. Amen.